Welcome back to We Watch Dead People. Long time. No listen. No listen. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been a, more than a minute, and we apologize for anybody that noticed our absence, which I will say I had a handful of people reach out to me and be like, what, are you doing this? I, I, I didn't. No. <laughs> so all the good listeners are in your camp. Yeah. Well, that's not fair. What if someone on your camp is listening right now? Well, then they'll know they need to reach out more. <laughs> Give more feedback. It's just hard to reach out to because you get chatty. Preposterous. No one wants to, you know, if you're not in the mind space to reach out to someone and then spend 30 minutes talking to that person, it's hard to reach out to those kind of people. I don't think I'm that kind of person. No matter. Anyways... This, yeah, it was it was an unplanned hiatus, but how about this? We're in season two now. We did twenty episodes, season one. Now we're twenty episode twenty one, season two. We will claim retroactively that we planned it all along. Yes, we will. There's no record saying that we didn't plan it. <laughs> Correct. So so it's just that we got really busy. Like I started. Um, my graduate school program. It was the end of summer, which I still have. I still have part of me that is that like summer mentality that I think you have when you're a kid going through the school system where it's like time for a break now. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to stay up super late and eat all these Doritos, not sponsored by Doritos. And you Yet. no Doritos reach out, please. Doritos is not listening. You don't know that. Also, I don't think it's Doritos. I'm sure it's like Frito Lays or whatever the Lays or well, whatever yeah, the company yeah, is. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah. A Dorito rep regardless maybe you don't have that will because you've been in the workforce longer where there is no break but well yeah i mean i still don't like it (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean we just got busy and it's been hard to find time to watch movies let alone record the podcast well no it hasn't been hard to find times to watch movies because we watched several movies and been like for an episode and then not done it including the episode for that's not entirely true i just but i know where you wanted to just jump into the title here but i have like a little online diary of the movies that i watch on letterboxd.com and i can tell you that august was kind of a dead zone especially compared to june and july so we did slow down a lot just in general movie watching it's true but we did go see this movie in theaters we did and then here we are recording it several weeks later so what movie was it william because you broke me off when i was entering the title do you want to do it no there's no smooth entrance anymore okay it's scary stories to tell in the dark the adaptation of alvin schwartz beloved children's book series which i actually did really love these books because they're great yeah all of alvin schwartz stuff is good and they're all really goddamn scary but i'm saying i didn't really like like goosebumps i wasn't a big goosebumps person either well goosebumps freaked me out when i was like four or five and then I could never do it again. This I picked yeah. up. I distinctly remember it was the third grade in well, Miss Hall's class. Goosebumps, I think, was just sort of more... Um, Hokey. Yeah. I mean, it's still creepy as a kid. But, like, Alvin Schwartz's stuff sticks with you. I mean, it's not even from the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series. Um, but I, I bring up all the time how scary that story the green ribbon is yeah I that know, one yeah. freaks me out so much and i like i read that as a kid and it sits with me now at almost 24 years old it's one of the scariest things i have ever read so 
Uh, the guy, this is certainly good source material for a horror movie. I know, we were excited. I, I you know, I, I don't want to overstate it. I was interested, but I don't think I was excited. I was excited because I was like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do that. What I was really hoping for in an ideal world, that it was going to be a bunch of, it was just going to be the stories not connected to one another, but kind of pieced together. Well, that Really, this would have lended itself well to like a Netflix special, don't you think? Yes. And I think... Netflix, we, we not can, sponsored. We can... Yet. But <laughs> <laughs> we can get into this maybe a little bit um, in a moment, but it almost definitely should have been that way. And one of the movie's weakest points is its attempt to thread an overarching narrative over the strong set pieces. Right. Can I o- do housekeeping? The overarching narrative sucks. Yes, you can do uh, housekeeping. Yes. Because you've just said the main point of the essay that is this episode. Yeah, but we haven't explained it. So people You're right. Then, like, the thesis of the intro, it. yeah, we haven't provided any evidence. Get on, housekeeping. Get on the board. Get on board the bus. Here we go. What? I don't know. Please just do the intro. Or the, the housekeeping. I think what you should have said was get in the van. Because nobody wants to get in the van. That's true. Yeah. You know, there's please. nobody stopping with a bus that's like, get in, kids. And they're all like, sure. I was imagining you as Miss Frizzle. And it's like the magic school bus. Are Anyways, you talking about my hair? Just go ahead and do no, it. No, let's hold on. No, 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 no. Just Is this about thing. my hair? Just do the thing. Let's just do the What's thing. What's the thing? Housekeeping. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Close your mouth. All right, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a 2019 horror film. Heavy quotations around that, please. Uh, directed by Andre Orvdal. He also did Troll Hunter, which I have not seen, and Me The neither. Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I have seen. I have it was not. a good premise, weak follow through. We may do that for another episode in the future. I was about to say, I don't think I've seen that. Anyway, it's. I saw it with Blaine. Uh, okay. 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 Can I... Shout out to Blaine. Go ahead. No, stop. Please. It's based on the children's book series um, by Alvin Schwartz. Stop. I see you leaning in. Lean away. Okay. The screenplay was adapted by Dan and Kevin Hogman. No idea. um, From a screen story by a producer of the film, Guillermo del Toro. We all know Guillermo del Toro. They leaned on his name so heavily in the marketing that I think a lot of people thought he made this movie. I know, he didn't. He produced it, but apparently he also wrote a screen story. Yeah, I'd be Um, interested in it. But he wrote it, he didn't write it alone. He also wrote it with Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, who I don't know either of them, do you? No, I don't. I'd, I'd be interested to know what del Toro's actual level of involvement in the movie was. Yeah, me too. Um, it says I'm going to guess not much. No, probably not. Well, I mean, I, I really like Guillermo del Toro. I do for the most part. I think his more recent output has been a little weak. But if My they, grandparents did not like Shape of Water. I actually never saw it. But I mean, They pa- thought it was too sexual. Well, go figure. From what <laughs> I know about it, that seems like the one thing it was. But I mean, if there's one thing the man knows, it's practical effect monsters. And I will say... Strong point of this film. It's a very strong point of this yeah. movie. And so if there's anything I could imagine he had his hands in, Hopefully it would that. probably yeah. be that. Um, well, it says the film was an international co-production between the U.S. and Canada. And it stars Zoe Coletti, probably Michael... Probably one of the only child actors in the movie who is any good. Who was she? Was she She's the, the main character. What's Stella? Yeah, is that her name? Okay, yeah. Stella. No, yes. it's Stella. I know because um, my parents' oldest dog is named Stella. Oh, yes. And when I called her in the backyard, I go, Stella! <laughs> okay. 
Anyway, it stars Zoe Coletti, Michael Garza. Terrible. Ga- Gabriel Rush. He's all right. Austin Zajour? Yeah. I don't... They don't have links to them. I don't know. Well, it's because they're all new. They they're played. all kids. Natalie Ganshorn, Austin Abrams, Dean Norris, Gil Bellows, and Lorraine Toussaint. Okay, if anybody in this movie, and we can get into this further as well, is a standout, uh, it's going to be Austin Abrams. That kid went over the top. He leaned so hard. He just, he really leaned into it as uh, Tommy Milner. Oh, yeah. Classic. I mean, bad he's guy just, he's stuff. just, <laughs> you could tell that he was just you know relishing the opportunity to play like hokey like 60s bad guy okay yeah let's jump right into that 60sness oh yeah it's a period movie yeah who knew did anybody see the trailer and go ah yes this is clearly set in the late 60s Ooh, this period piece one there's no need to do that there's no need to put it in the 60s, except for the fact that they accuse some people of being draft dodgers. Yeah, there's like a draft dodgers thing, and there's a little bit of casual racism that I, oh, I they, yeah, they, I they otherwise couldn't have prob- justified? probably justified including. Right, because the world isn't racist anymore? Well, is that what? But, but I mean, it's just so explicit. I'm jo- the world is still very well, racist. Well, yeah, it's true. Yeah. But yes, I take your point. The period piece serves no real role in the plot and i don't know other than the kids aren't using kindles they need old books yeah and they need to look through like microfilm at these like weird old hospitals but they chose to set it in the 60s so we have to live with it i guess i mean i do think that is something that horror movies confront a lot is like why can't we just use our phones do you know what i mean like that idea of like they're confronting some evil like i guess it's an easy way to just take that out of the equation but it wasn't they it didn't even really look like they were in the 60s there was was um, occasionally some cars and like the cars were good tommy milner wears like an old school letterman's jacket they go to the drive-in ruth looked very 60s she looks 60s in like a hairspray way but she's in a play i know yeah but But i'm saying even outside the play i i didn't think so i thought she looked like them okay but whatever i mean I, I think that outside of select scenes, they just it, it could have been any time at all. Yeah, it didn't really matter. Occasionally, they I will say sp- my little sister wears a Letterman jacket, and she's not in the 60s. Yeah, but it's how it's just that whole outfit, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, with the chucks and the jeans. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so the movie takes place in some small faux Pittsburgh suburb town like Millvale. It's like Mill Valley, yeah, Pennsylvania. And there is a Millvale, Pennsylvania. So is it's there? Probably, yeah, it's probably like this. Is it close to us? Wink. Yeah, it is. Okay. So, uh, it's a you know it's closer to a Somerset, PA kind of town in the movie though. Than okay, what that doesn't like. give any context to the listeners, but thank you for giving. You can me look context. it all up. <laughs> um. But the movie follows Stella. Who's like? She wants to be an author. She's a classic bookworm. She's got nerd. the glasses. She's, she's always yeah. pushing them up. Yeah. And she's friends with these two nerds. Go- goofball nerds, Augie and Chuck. Augie's kind of prim and proper, and Chuck is kind of crass and gross. Two different kinds of nerds. That's right. Hitting a few you are, archetypes. Yeah, you're both of those kinds of nerds. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the 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 movie starts with them. It's Halloween night, and they plan to like get back at Tommy, 
because apparently he's pulled a prank on them every Halloween, which turns out is just stealing their candy. So they fill their candy with bad stuff, like their pillow sacks. They fill it with poop. (laughs) They fill their bags with poop. No, Chuck fills his with poop. Uh Oh. Augie fills his with, like, rotten eggs and Stella does, too. I think Chuck's the only one because you see him fishing his turds out the toilet. Yeah, he doesn't. He uses his own shit, which is kind of strange, but... What? Well, I'm you sorry. dog we... poop. Uh, like in every not other... everybody just has a dog. So, like, who's... Your poop is the most readily available to you. Yeah, I guess, but when you see pranks in the movies, it's people, like, lighting dog shit on fire yeah, on the porch. Yeah, because movies aren't reality. Yeah. In reality, the easiest poop to get for a poop prank is I'm your own. T- I'm going to tell you most people aren't using their own poop for poop pranks. I've Okay, I've never pulled a poop prank. You've pulled a poop prank? No. Is this episode yeah. now called Poop Prank? As a matter of fact, actually, to your point, one of the few I can think of that somebody pulled that I know of, they did use their own poop. <laughs> Anyways, really? yeah. This is, this is it someone I know? Blink no, if it is. No, okay. you don't. Okay. But anyways, this has no relevance. <laughs> It, it goes it's over bad. It goes over badly. Tommy crashes his car. They go chasing. He goes chasing after the kids. The kids run into a drive-through movie theater and they climb into the car of Ramon. Uh, a guy who's a drifter, supposedly. You see him in a cutscene before the whole prank goes down, like filling up his gas, and the police is like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, cutscene, "I'm following cutscene, the cutscenes are in video games." Oh, sorry. It's just a scene. It's just a scene. It's a side scene, though. It's, yeah, like, not it's... related to the main plot. It's like, why the fuck are we seeing this? But who's, later who's we this find guy? out. Who's this guy? He's filling up his gas. And the police is like, what are you doing here? He's like, just passing through, following the crops. Which, it's fall. Yeah, it's, it, it, I don't really. It, this, it's this, October. Well, this just... It's the start, And they're in it's Pennsylvania. The, it's the start of a movie-long bad performance from the actor who's playing him. So, it just... That's the way it's going to be. But anyways, he saves Stella, Augie, and Chuck from Tommy. And he doesn't even save them. They well, just he like... Them. He protects them. Yeah, he lets they them hide in his car. In his car, because they run into a drive-in movie theater, yeah. like trying to get away from Tommy and his, and his friends. And then they invite Ramon to go with them to see a haunted house. Which is... The, a, bell- the old Bellows place. Yeah, like when we say haunted house, we mean like... In our town, there's the spooky house, which seems to be a common thing in movies and not a super common thing in real life. Like, did you have a spooky house near where you grew up? Because I didn't. No. There was no place where people were like, let's go to this spooky place. The old Smithers house. Like, yeah, no, that place wasn't in, in my my childhood. But it's in this movie, which, you know. I had I, some creepy neighbors. Well, I think neighbors the, across the street. The point is, is creepy. that the movie's playing on some tropes, and I think it, I think it's supposed to be having fun with them, but it wasn't really compelling either. Yeah, I had to go sell Girl Scout cookies what door to door, <laughs> my creepy neighbors, okay. and it was very scary. Well, that's, I'm sorry. But Where's that trope? It's not an abandoned house where some old family lived and some of their children were imprisoned like this, one of their child child you know, children this girl sarah, sarah bellows, bellows who wrote a book of horror scary stories you could go stand outside her wall and she would read them to you and so whatever they're like going around this house just looking at stuff being like oh that's spooky um and then what 
Oh, Stella actually goes into Sarabella's room and is like, oh my gosh, this is her room. And finds the book. And then Tommy has somehow followed them to the house. And when everybody goes down to, like, follow Stella, he, like, shuts the door and locks them inside the room. But they get released by a supernatural Yeah, something clicks the door open. And Stella takes the book of stories home with her. Like, Sarabella's book. And then once she's at home, she sees that there's a new story in the book that's being written in real time in, like, the red She ink. doesn't she, see it being written that time, though. She just see she, like, opens it and it looks kind of fresh and she rubs her thumb over it and it, like, it looks like blood smear. Oh. Is that I really? Yeah, no, she, she doesn't that. see, they don't see one actually being written in real time until Augie's. Oh, okay. Well. From what I, I remember. Okay. Well. At any rate. She opens, there's a fresh story. The story is fresh. And then we see sort of cut to the, to the corn, cornfield. Cut? Cut to it? Like a cut scene? We cut to a scene? No, they're different things. Okay, I just. Cut to a scene Uh of a cornfield near Tommy's house and he's all drunk, but his mom's making him go go deliver deliver eggs eggs to their neighbor. They're farmers. I guess. We're following the crops. And so Tommy starts meandering through the the cornfield and he encounters a scarecrow that he, you know, through the story that Stella's reading, we learn, you know, he he abuses it now, but it has scared him for a long time and he calls it Harold. And, you know, he's... It is a creepy looking scarecrow. (laughs) It is. And as he moves through the cornfield, he starts to be progressively stalked by the scarecrow who then ends up attacking him and stabs him with a pitchfork and he Tommy starts vomiting up hay and like yeah trans- he's becoming a scarecrow exactly and then it cuts to the and next I, day so i will say that like again it's it was sort of really a, good well, yeah, that was my favorite part i think so too me for me as well and again it's like a trope it's the the scarecrow in the creepy maze essentially in the corn maze but the it's way it's not the, a trope yeah Okay. But the way it's done is really quite compelling, and they, they shot it well. And the kid who played Tommy, again, is just like a real treat. He's having a lot of fun He's in that part. having fun, and also this scary story from the book makes sense within the context that they've set up. Yeah. Within these, like, it's the late 60s, and they're all teenagers. He lives on a farm, and oh, there just happens to be this creepy scarecrow that he's always hated and you see a scene of him before like kicking it before he goes to go hang out with his friends like there's been context there's build up it makes sense that this scary story would be happening no other scary that then goes on to happen has any relevance within the story it just kind of starts happening yeah and anything that they do to sort of explain why it would be happening is far more throwaway than it's so the frustrating. Than the setup to this. Yeah, one. every other story besides this one with Harold, it's just called. It's titled Harold in mm-hmm. the in Sarah Bella's book. Every other one besides that, besides Harold, the Harold story, is described as like, oh my god, this is one of the stories that my parents or my siblings used to tell me when I was little. I know this story. Mm-hmm. Like or, it's a or classic story. The one, the story. one Chuck kid and a one throwaway line, literally one line. Is like I had this scary nightmare, and then it sort of just manifests itself later in the movie. Yeah, super um, stupid. So I mean, I I think in the interest 
of not dragging this on too too long. I I I think I'll just you can stop me if you think this is unfair. Fine. I'll just we should just say what the rest of the overarching narrative is and then break down the few set pieces because those are more interesting. Yes. The overarching narrative follows Stella, Ramon, Augie, and Chuck as they try to solve this Cerebellos thing. And, of course, as the movie goes along, they start dropping. First Augie, and then Ruth, Chuck's sister, and then Chuck, and then it's just Stella and Ramon. Yeah, and then a scary story kind of tries to come for Ramon. Yeah. Um, They defeat it before it does that. And this all culminates in some, like, weird, uh, like ham-handed ending scene where Stella has a she's like put back in time to when the Bellows like owned the town right are they a steel mill or something am I just thinking that because it's Pennsylvania yeah I mean they they're something they own no 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 it's I don't know it's something with the water whatever company they run oh yeah they poison the the family mill poisoning the the water water hole that's right with mercury and they and, and it kills sp- a bunch of people, and they use Sarah as a scapegoat. Well, Sarah and, has been trying to tell people, so they mark her as like crazy. Yeah, she's been she's been you know she's sent yeah her family victimizes her for trying to like do the right thing, yeah. and so this is why she's like attached to the book and lashing out against kids forevermore. Like it's it's really strange, and Stella just like recognizing her and saying like I understand. Like makes sets, her go sets her, free. sets her free it's just like you were you were wronged i'm sorry they were mean to you you were trying to do the right thing i'm sorry we'll tell your story and not make it so you're some urban legend where you were a creepy girl in a basement yeah and then and then the movie sort of just wraps up with ramon who is a draft dodger he decides to conscript with the army to prove he's a real man yeah. as he like starts a relationship with stella and then stella and ruth who is still alive, just heavily maimed from her story, which we'll describe in a bit. They, and they, Stella's dad. Oh, is he involved? In yes, they. he's the one driving. And she's like, we now need to figure out like how to get Chuck and Augie back. We're sure Sequel. they're out there. Yeah, yeah like just Dumb fucking shit. fishing for it. Which, what the fuck doesn't make any sense within the cerebellum story like the whole thing is that she killed or like she was so vengeful that she was killing people off who misrepresented her yeah so how could they possibly get them back i guess that's for the script the screenwriters to figure out for part two but you're gonna poop it right in so i will say that to this point if you've made it this far it sounds like we're shitting on this movie and i think if this movie were just what we described it is highly shittable it's not very good, and it's PG thirteen like which is never fa- good. Family friendly trappings show themselves. However, as we said before, the individual set pieces that make up the scary, the scary stories, yeah, the scary stories in the movie are really good. So Harold, mm. the first one, which we already described, best one. I think they go. Down. It's probably tied for with. me with. The Pale Lady, which we can describe in a bit. Um, the second piece is The Big Toe, which is the one Stella and Ramon actually see the story being written in real time. Mm-hmm. And it is targeting Augie, who is home alone. So they like call him on their fucking 
walkie talkies they got yeah. walkie talkies they're kids they're friends they mm-hmm. got walkie talkies and they're like Augie this story's being written about you it's it's something about because it's being written in front of them so they don't know the full story but they're like it's about this woman and her toe and he's like oh I know the story my dad used to tell me the story um his mom and his stepdad have gone out of town so he's home alone <sighs> yeah and he's and he's heating up some stew that you know he finds, but his mom says she, on the phone, says she didn't remember leaving for him. And, of course, in the story, uh, the titular big toe is found in the stew. And well, he uh, pulls it out of his mouth. Well, because he starts to eat it. And a, you know, sort of decaying corpse of a zombie woman comes beckoning for her toe. And so he starts, you know, he's not buying it. And then he has the toe in his mouth. He starts freaking out, and he goes to hide in his room. He does the predictable thing. He hides under the bed. She finds him, drags him. Drags him into the abyss, and he's gone. The abyss that is behind his bed. It's The world of this story is incredibly unclear. Well, but I'll say that that one probably sounds a little weaker than the Herald one, and I think it is. It is, she just shows up. Yeah, but but in context, it's still pretty freaky. It's done done well, despite its flaws. Yeah. Fine. Um, Fine. Fine. Next up is uh, the red a story that targets Ruth. Yeah, the red spot. Which, Chuck's older sister. Yeah, Chuck's sister. Which um, which actually one, did... I liked that one better er, better than the big toe because there's some I, I lead up to that too. Early in the movie, she gets a pimple. Yeah, and, and you know. It's nobody, nobody in high school likes their pimples. Nobody likes pimples, period. But it progressively... Each scene is getting worse and worse. And finally when it's It's like the night store. of her big big play. It's it's enormous. I mean it's painful looking. And someone's like, You gotta go pop that. That's so, gross. So she goes to the bathroom and she's in a lot of pain trying to Pop it. Pop it. And then suddenly a little leg comes out of it. Meanwhile, you know, Augie, or not Augie, excuse me, Stella yeah, Ramon. Augie's and, gone. Yeah, Stella Ramon and Chuck are trying to find her and help her. Because they've seen a story being written about her called The Red Spot. Mm-hmm. And um, before they can get to her, like, her face fucking explodes with spiders out of that spot. Yeah. And so they, they catch, they find her just after that and they, like, douse her with water and she is, uh, sent to a mental institution. So, I mean, at least she didn't die, but it's... And they're like, she's basically gone forever, though. She'll never recover. She's so <laughs> scarred. Yeah. So it's like, the stakes are still high, but it's like, already I was starting to lose it because I was like, what is... I just wanted to know the rules, like, mm-hmm. behind... There aren't really any. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the... the uh, Stella, Ramon, and Chuck's efforts to figure out what happened to Sarah Bellows take them to a nearby hospital where they find out some more stuff about how the family basically scapegoated tortured her. Yeah, tortured uh, Sarah Bellows and then scapegoated her. But while they're at the hospital, they're like really all these they, kids were dying because of this mercury po- yeah. poisoning, but they were making it sound like Sarah was killing them. I don't know. But while they're at the hospital, you know, they've snuck in and Chuck gets separated from Ramon and Stella. And Chuck, who's, you know, made an offhand comment about the red room that he's so scared of, he um, ends up in this sort of, this hallway area and the, the alarm's going off because they've been found, but he, they haven't been caught yet. They've been spotted, but not caught. 
And so the hallways go this really ominous red, which is pretty freaky. With the, I mean, but with the lights of the alarm. Yeah, and yeah. And the film just up plays that makes it more Well, they're, but they're, the alarm lights in this particular building don't flash. They're just a hard red. Yeah. <laughs> and Chuck spots the pale lady, which is just this probably the, probably the most horrifying monster in the movie seriously yeah it's creepy no it's not yeah it is it looks like a cre- it looks like one of the turnip creatures from spirited away no it's scary and the fact that like to you ev- it maybe every scary. hallway that he looks down it's there he tries to run down different hallways and it's there. All I can and think just, of were the turnip people. And it just presses him until there's nowhere for him to go. It's on all four just... sides of him, and it just envelops him in its stomach. I think that was really scary. You did? Yeah. Honestly? Yes. I thought it was hilarious. No, it's scary. All I could think of were... It's scary for you. Well, can you imagine if everywhere you looked, something was like... You just kept looking, and a monster was coming at you, and it kept getting closer, Not no matter where you like went? Not like a giant turnip You creature. would be fine? You would have been fine. I'm not saying I would have been fine. I'm saying it didn't scare me. Well, I think you should put yourself in his shoes. I'm. Not, <laughs> it was impossible to put myself in his shoes. It was a. It didn't lead up very well at all. I didn't sympathize with the character. I. The monster itself was not presented in a. I don't know. It's just a. It's just a personal take. Well, I'm just saying. Like you can't I tell think me. You're wrong. <laughs> no, it's fine. I understand. I I think it did it just there was something about it that really was unnerving. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't For as you. I, yes I've I've agreed to that. Okay. It wasn't as explicitly scary as like Harold, but it was it was yeah it was unnerving. So then the last monster, which is the worst one, I think. Is the jangly man? Yeah, because there's no story there. I mean, I'm sure there is in, um, in stories to tell in the dark, like the actual book. Because even here in like the plot summary, it says the jangly man able to reconstruct itself from separate body parts. Like you don't uh, like eventually you see that, so you understand it. But even Ramon saying it, can I just tell you what I thought he said? Mm. And you can cut it out if you think it's inappropriate. But he just he said it so quickly. He's like, "Oh my God, I know what story this is. My brother used to tell me around a campfire. It's the it's the and of course he says jangly man. But I swear to God, I thought he was saying Jankum. The Jankum man. Yeah, that's that really been, that would have been way scarier if it was the Jankum man. I really thought that's what he was saying, and I was just like, "Is anybody else hearing this? Why is he called the Jankum man? Like, it's not till reading what people have written about this that I'm like, oh." The jangly man? Sure, sure. Well, I really thought it was the jankum man so this I, whole time. I, I did hear the jangly man. I did not hear did the jankum man. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. Clearly you heard yes. jangly? Yes. But I couldn't even remember. I was like, what story is this from Stories to Tell in the Dark where it's the jankum man? Did they have jankum back then? I, I wasn't aware did. of it. I don't think they did. But I think that the jangly <laughs> did man... Did Alvin Schwartz great jankum? <laughs> That's a question for his, uh, his his estate, I think. But the jangly man is the weakest one for me because it's the only one that relies heavily on CGI. And it really shows. It was not great. Uh, all the other ones are like practical effects. They're like practical monsters. And are you kidding me? The pale lady you thought was practical effects. It is. Okay. 
No, I know that. Even when it envelops him? No, that's CGI, but yeah. like the in the actual monster is not CGI. Okay. And but the jangly man that 100% Hulk is 100% CGI. 100%. They might they might have had like a body stand in, but like the way it, the way it moves and the way it falls apart, I mean, it, it's way more CGI than any of the other monsters. Yeah. And it, and I think it shows. Well, it would be a hard thing to do practical effects for because it well, is just a bunch of different body parts assembling well, themselves. Well, I understand but, that, but it, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb yeah. compared to the other ones. Yeah, it does. And You know where it would fit really well. Hmm. It. Yeah, it actually would, um, <laughs> which is... Yes, uh, that's a that's a story for a different podcast, but I th- well, a different know, episode, yeah. same podcast. But my, I, I think that you were right to say at the top that this would have made a good like Netflix anthology because I'll also say that I didn't think that the movie was very stylishly made. It was sort of flat in its presentation, mm-hmm. and it might as well have been a streaming service movie. Um, yeah, and I think I think if they just had split it up into anthology shorts, it would have been more effective, more interesting, and probably better. And because then each story could have its own vibe. Like, the red spot was the only one where I think it really worked that it was, like, 60s-ish because Ruth was dressed up in this 60s costume because she was in this play. And it, I don't know, it felt like, oh, here's, it's like a little vignette. Like, if if everything was just, if we're just talking Netflix special, Netflix not sponsored, it, like... Each thing could have its own vibe. Like, they could bring in different directors for each one. There could be different styles. Do you know what I mean? Different aesthetics. But it all had to fit in this one thing. Actually, Harold, it worked. The 60s thing kind of worked for Harold because you see him the next morning and it's clearly become Tommy and it's in his his letter jacket. Well, but there's there's no reason that they they couldn't have... I mean, again, because the red spot, it's like she's dressed up that way because it's a play. So, I mean... There's no reason that each of these pieces couldn't have been their own individual, like, 10-minute shorts. And here's the thing. I feel like when something is a 10-minute short, directors and screenwriters are more confident in saying, this is its own world, and they don't have cell phones. So we're ignoring that. Do you know what I mean? Like, people are more, they feel more free to, like, I don't have to fully explain and flesh out this world. There just aren't, you just can't call on your cell phone. Well, and just like in the book... Just like in the book, there's nothing that actually links any of the stories. They're just all individual stories in their own individual worlds. And the major flaw of this movie is trying to connect them with a shit plot. Which, and they're going to do it again because the shit plot continues with like, we're going to go find Augie and Chuck. Like, bitch, where? Well, and they've made... Why are they driving away from where Sarah Bellows and the curse started? Well, I don't know, well, but they're I probably mean, gonna. I mean, they made made back the budget multiple times over. So I mean, they're and we contributed. We did. I will say the best part about this movie was the theater we saw it in. Yeah, it had nice. those. Ooh, it had those reclining chairs, and nice. li- you could pull you could pull a little um, thing in front of you to have like a tiny table to set your drink and your popcorn on. You could recline back as far as you want. I will say, you know, I, nice. I honestly think that on the whole, this movie wasn't terrible. And like as a PG-13 movie, horror movie, it probably will get some kids interested in watching other better horror movies. Yeah. Uh, okay. But I mean, it also, I mean, it was just sort of exactly what I thought it was going to be, which is fine. 
It was disappointing to me because I thought it would be better. I, I, I mean, I like the actual stories. I do too. I didn't like the kid acting, and I didn't like the overarching plot. And those things sort of, in the end, balance themselves out to an ultimately kind of just fine product. So, I mean, I think that once this one's on Netflix or something, it's probably the best time to watch it. If you didn't catch it in theaters, you didn't miss too much. Yeah. So, well, anyways, we're uh, we're back in the swing, trying to get back at it. Hopefully we'll just keep churning a few things out to try and catch ourselves up a little bit. So thanks for bearing with us as we took our totally planned hiatus between yep. seasons one season and one and two. season two and that's what you do you yeah. take a small break that's right so um uh, if you want to watch something that's not scary but has a thriller element watch the righteous gemstones yeah that's if that's for a different podcast but. i know but it's just I, we don't have to go into detail but i'm just saying if anyone's taking recommendations and you have hbo I think it's probably telling about scary stories to tell them in the dark that Emma has ended it with recommending a different a different uh, product and a different medium altogether. <laughs> it's not a different medium. It's film. Uh, the Righteous Gemstones is a television show. It's not I a know. movie. Yeah, but it's still television. It. It, you watch medium. it on a screen. What do you want from me? That's a different from, medium. What do you want from me? That's I'm just telling you what I'm interested in right now, and I liked watching that. We just finished an episode fine, of that while we I'm ate dinner, and I liked it. Okay, that was what I was saying. Is there something you want to recommend? No. Well, you wouldn't recommend The Righteous Gemstones? No, I would. It just. Okay, so okay. now we both agree it's a good thing to watch. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, this has been We Watch Dead People. If you didn't know that by now, Get I'm sorry. Get out. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Must be the season of the week.